Let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for the word in front of us. We're grateful for the joy that it is to see your spirit speak through your apostles with such power and such um, guiding information. We'd ask that we would be guided in your son's name. Amen. What was striking me by what Phil read this morning was the verse out of Ephesians 4 where it says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Because I was in, not Ephesians this morning, but Colossians in the second chapter, and that concept of the fullness of Christ is what we're about. Um... It says, in verse 6 of chapter 2, As therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So you ask yourself, when someone says, Well, was it a thanksgiving sermon this morning at church? You can say, yes, it was. In the second verse, the word thanksgiving is used. We have much to be thankful for. But as Christians, our reception of Christ, our living in him, our rooted in him, our being built up in him, established in him, that we are taught to be all these things. This, this life of thanksgiving, uh, this life of thanksgiving is uh, uh, something that has been in the church since the beginning, 2,000 years. If it's on the same thing. It's not been in the life of Christendom for 2,000 years. That has tried to direct us to all sorts of ways of disobedience. And some of those ways of disobedience we're going to look at this morning in this passage. Do you need some help getting Abby out? She's okay, all right. So if we become a Christian, as therefore you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, live in him. Much of what we do as church, any church, any group of believers in any town, is try to figure out what kind of faith are we selling, what kind of Christianity are we selling here? What kind of, what's the final description for you for your life he's saying for us the same way that we received him is the way we should live in him and we should be built up in him and rooted in him now that is general vague doesn't tell you a whole lot but by the time he gets through the end of this passage we're going to go through chapter 3 verse 4 he takes every other aspect of your love for religion, and you probably love some aspects of religion that you don't, should not, and yanks them out of your cold, dead fingers. That's basically it. He says, see to it, verse 8. This means, pay attention, take care of this, this is a problem in you. I don't know 
how self-examinatory is that, is that a word? Can be, I suppose. It's not really charming, not really poetic, but I don't know how examined you are by yourself. Where you lie awake at night going, you know, I have acted in a way that is not entirely Christian. It's that phrase out of Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? Are you are you being just awful? Are you is this like Jesus Christ? Are we, as we have received him by faith, we live in him, and this is in no way anything but my own selfishness. I don't know how examined you feel you are, but the, the suggestion is that you should be examined by you. See to it. See to it. Because as we all struggle with these things that we have a hard time with, because, you know, I don't have a problem with anger. So it's easy for me to talk about the things I do not have a problem with. My problems lie elsewhere. But we are looking for answers to what is our problem. Some of you people are anxious. You know you shouldn't be. All this talk about do not be anxious over nothing, that kind of stuff. Some of you are depressed. You know you're not supposed to be. So we're all looking for answers. That's why we're at church. We're all looking for what, what, what will Christianity give me? I'm looking to be benefited here. So when we get to church, when we get into the religious conversation in the circles, that's where it says, watch out, see to it that you don't get fooled. See to it that no one makes prey of you by philosophy. Doesn't even say false philosophy, does it? And it doesn't say that false philosophy is bad. It says that you are being made prey of by it. And it's not the good kind of prey. It's being preyed upon. Prey of you by philosophy, because not every one of us can be philosophers. The arguments come at us so fast that we go, oh, that sounds convincing. What did I miss? I don't have time for this. I'm a professional. I, I do dentistry. What's the... Somebody else should be doing the thinking for me, and I got a big name and a PhD and so forth, and they convince you to be and think a certain way. Make prey of you by philosophy and by empty deceit. Now, one of the things I noticed about deceit, it's really good. I mean, not morally good. It's really good at what it does. Even you know that, because look at the world. Okay? Look at everybody's opinion in the world and realize that you think you're right, you're fine. We'll grant that you're right in the situation. That means pretty much everybody else is wrong. I feel awful about it because I have some of those odd views that I know. I look over at my wife sideways and wonder, is she really on board with this? Does she think this? I'm alone in a lot of the things I affirm, but by affirming that, I'm affirming the whole world. The whole world is under a deception. We all know it because we all know that we're a rare commodity in our opinions. The huge degree of successful deception in the world, which is according to what? According to human tradition. I know people who stand in their deceived 
posture because C.S. Lewis thought so, or the creeds of the church thought so, or Billy Graham thought so, Charles Spurgeon thought so, whatever. We've always done it this way at all souls. According to human tradition. So you got these strengths that are being offered to you. One, your own weakness of mind. You don't know how good the deceivers are at what they do. You might not know philosophy well enough, but you're still being preyed upon by an empty argument. You ever see, you know, let's all agree, we're religious here, so we believe in God. Atheists, and they believe some sophistry that some other atheist told them is a great argument against Christians. And they believe it. They believe it. Well, why, you say, why do they believe it? It's not a good argument. Well, it supports, what's the phrase? It's a confirmation bias. It lets them know that what they already think is true. That's why we get deceived. One of the reasons. We're not bright is another one. But it's according to human tradition, and we know. We were talking at the other night at the house. Gunn asked a good question about nostalgia. What was the feeling of nostalgia? And tradition goes further back than nostalgia. It's a, it's a claim not just of good, but of authority because of mere time passing and it not being the case anymore that others have done this this way for a long time. Now, I don't know, this week you're going to be sitting down at table with friends and many people of your own family and, and certain things are traditions. Those aren't bad. But if philosophy and deceit according to human tradition is making prey of me, I'm supposed to see to it that it doesn't. I'm supposed to look suspiciously at anything that is done in this church because it was done that way last year. No fault with it, but once I am, um, once I'm doing the decision on the basis of tradition, it's according tradition, and I can be deceived by it. Now it's also according to another thing. It's according to the elemental spirits of the universe. Which, you know, we don't run into much. We do in Paul. He keeps mentioning at Galatians here. The elemental spirits of the universe are the stoicheion. And some religious traditions, it's like the Pythagorean forces in the universe, earth, air, fire, and water, those were considered the elements. I think Paul's talking about something more sentient and conscious and godlike. But it's a, it's, a, it's, a metaphys it's a metaphysic. Now the thing is, when this, this is everything Christianity offers you, and Paul's taking it away from you. Our Christian philosophy our traditions, our metaphysics. And some of you, back when it was only Jesus dying for your sins, and then somebody in some Bible study brings up angels and archangels. You grab the sides of the table and you go, oh my gosh, this is getting exciting. Finally, a religion worth following because it's got enough 
quirky, almost fantasy-level science fiction-y realities going on, and my goodness, this is exciting. We like having the details of the details of our Christian life. Well, sometimes you look at your traditions and you wonder, do I have anything in my Christian life besides Christian tradition? I mean, we were talking at Drones yesterday about church attendance. And blessings, you're here, so. Um, and there are people who think the church attendance is, you know, that weekly observance that you go through, rather than, hey, I love the brethren, I want to get together with them. Where are they getting together? Oh, they're getting together at that white building downtown. We're getting together because we love one another. If we get together because it's tradition to get together, we're already off the path. We'll see to it that no one makes prey of you. Because if then if they said, well, we've always, the church has always observed Sunday as the Lord's Day. It is the new Sabbath. You go, where in the Bible does it say Sunday is the Sabbath? Saturday is the Sabbath. You can still worship on Sunday, but it's, we start making changes. We start developing philosophies. We write long books. And sometimes if you look up from your Christian life, you might find that if you took away all the traditions I've mentioned this around Christmas time, I mentioned it around Easter. Neither Easter nor Christmas are part of your religion. It never tells you to celebrate the Lord's birth or have a party at his resurrection day, ever. We commemorate his death, but we're not supposed to have religious, you might say not, not supposed to have, we have religious holidays, but they're not part of our religion. The Bible. You know the Bible never told you to have a Bible? Okay? The Bible never told you to have one of these. It's a great blessing. One by one, they fall from heaven. I want you to be thinking about what is my Christian life if Evan or St. Paul is taking away such key elements of philosophy, tradition, and spirituality? He says, see to it you don't let these things control you, make prey of you, and not according to Christ. They're according to tradition, according to the elementals, and not according to Christ. Is what I have, what I'm doing, what I'm, how I'm worshiping with my fellow believers, is it because I'm in accord with Jesus Christ? My, my father, many, for many years, would say uh, to someone who was pushing a particular doctrine forward, like it had to be believed or, or whatever, um, he said, well, how is this making you more like the Lord Jesus Christ? What, this view of end times, this view of women's role in the church, this view of you know, whatever it is, how is it making you more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Because what we're doing in our lives is trying to come up with a faith that's in accord with Christ. Because, verse 9, for in him, this is the reasoning, the reason you want to be in accord with Jesus Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness of life in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. That's why... 
your religion began in him. As therefore you received, Christ Jesus the Lord so live in him. So I need to step, like I stepped into Christ, why I stepped into Christ, fullness of life. I should look back and say, I need to, I think I need to have everything in accord with him. Because fullness of life came through him. And fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is the head. Who is the head of all rule and authority? Now, when we have been handed philosophy, tradition, and metaphysics by the history of the church, and we realize that if we're not deceived, pretty much everybody else is, and we strip that all away, there has to be, you need to know what it was that happened. This is why when we strip away religion from believers, you want to be saying, am I finding a believer underneath the surface? Do they, have they really come to life in Christ? Because you can pretend to be a Christian with all of the information the Christian church has given you. And not know that you're pretending. It's part of the deception. You need to recognize that your fullness of life came through him. Because he is the head of all rule and authority. Because all the fullness is in him. We sometimes see the name of Jesus and we don't see fullness. We don't make the big claim. Oh, we know theologically that he is God himself, right? The triune God, his Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And Christ is you know, the second person of the Trinity and he is God and not, and not God. It's always, we get into arguments about the Trinity. We stop thinking about, we stop thinking about fullness. Now, the word Paul uses here is pleroma for fullness. It was a direct, one of the reasons scholars think that Colossians is going after a proto-Gnosticism that was present in the early church. Um, because pleroma was their word, the fullness. And the fullness of spirit, only God, and they, and, and they didn't believe that anything material had a possibility of reaching the fullness. So it had to be completely, materiality had to be rejected, stepped away from, because true spirit was the fullness, and you could only get there by rejection of matter. And so when Jesus says, the whole pleroma of deity dwells bodily in him. It's slapping them up the head, upside the head. They can't, they can't process this. But it's what we have in Christ. The whole fullness of deity dwelling in him bodily. It's not just a concept of, of the incarnation of God in Christ. It is, it is uh, something that we get at for our own lives instead of being made prey of by religion that is offered to us in Christian terms throughout our centuries we have all those Christian terms that we could be deceived by or we could have Christ himself the deity bodily dwelling and our life having come from that he just goes on to describe what that is in him and I've, I've bolded those in him, with him, with him, with him, in him, over the next five verses or so. Because just like in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 does the same thing. Um, in Christ, in the beloved, in him, everything is in Christ. 
So in your own meditation, I want you to encourage you about this, that instead of trying to figure out first, I mean, I, I like philosophy, I like traditions. I like metaphysics. It isn't the Christian life. It isn't the Lord Jesus. So I must find, what well, we talked about it last Sunday, about our love of God being our centerpiece for our obedience. We let it trickle down into our lives that if we love God, we keep his commandments. If you love God, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. Anyone who says he loves God and hates his brother is a liar. Because this is the kind of thing that trickles down. You finding Christ in the gospel for the forgiveness of sins, you claimed he was Lord, he died, buried, resurrected, everything about bodily and everything about God for your sins. And now we're encouraging you to think of your Christian life in these terms because you came to life in him, so as you received him, so live in him. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. You were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. There's no, nobody talks about what the life is. If you get a look, well, what's this life? What's the, how are we supposed to, is it a Bonhoeffer-esque life together? Or is it, no, it's this, forgiveness of sins. He brought you, made you alive with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Center to your experience of the cross of Jesus Christ, the bodiliness of God, the death of God, the resurrection of God. And you're calling on him because he is the one, the only one that your sins stood out against. When I, I think I mentioned it last Sunday, when I rearranged the furniture after Doug had gone blind, I had, uh, I had sinned. And it's not against Doug. If I did something evil, it was against God. God's the one who has the rules. If Doug was making the rules about furniture placement, in my opinion, Evan, furniture should never be rearranged when I have gone blind. Now, that's nice. Like maybe I should have considered that. But when I rearranged it, I said, my will, not Doug's. But I can't say, my will, not God's. I have to, I have to, Realize that it is his demand spiritually, his demand morally, that is actual sin. And so he is the one that sets it aside, nailing it to the cross. The legal demands. Now one of the things that is sort of, I, I wanted to suggest to you for your thought, not saying this is what it's saying authoritatively. When he, right after he says this, he says he disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. Now part of this is that the principalities and powers were the sources of all standard in the nations for millennia. 
including, you know, if you read um, uh, St. Stephen, when he's preaching to the Sanhedrin and gets himself killed at the end, he says a couple of interesting things. One of them is that the burning bush was an angel. The next, that it was the voice of an angel who gave the law at Sinai, all of which were speaking in the first person for God. Okay? All of which were in the first person for God. And that makes, you know, we, we naturally think, okay, then it was God in the burning bush, it was God on Sinai. We, those things are spoken of differently at different places. But one of the things I was noticing when he says, the legal demands set aside, nailed to the cross, then he says he disarmed. Because in many ways the principalities, in many ways the principalities, that is their armor. That's what they, law and order, that's what they were about. When they're world rulers of this present darkness, it is not merely because they're running around with a bottle of vodka, shoving it in your face and saying, let's get drunk. Or let's be, let's be sexually immoral, or let's be this, that, or the other thing. They're not running around like, you know, Satan in red tights and horns trying to get you to do bad things. Part of their control of the world was trying to get you to live under restriction. Their restriction. And disarming them was to take away the power of sin by taking away the law. Now there's something for you to think about. Is the disarming of the principalities tied to the verse prior? Because then he goes on to argue against the lifestyle, the lifestyle that philosophy, tradition, and the metaphysics of the elemental spirits, which I'm tying together with those principalities, what kind of lifestyle? Therefore, verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Now, in our mind, if someone is a bad influence, this conversation, let no one pass judgment on you, we might naturally think is, you mean they're eating whatever they want? They are not keeping Christmas? Actually, it's the reverse. Those who are passing judgment on you in this circumstance are the ones who are already restricted and the ones who are keeping the festivals. He's saying to you, don't, this is tradition, philosophy, and elementals. This is not Christ. Christ sets you free from law. Christ sets you free from church calendar. Now, I'm going to have Thanksgiving this week. It's not a church holiday. I think Abraham Lincoln did it, so we're fine. But I'm also going to celebrate Christmas. But not because it's a Christian holiday, but because it's a cultural holiday. And I like the decorations. If someone says, but you're not going to church on Sunday. Well, on, on Christmas. Yeah, unless it lands on a Sunday. Because they go to church on Sunday. But let no one pass judgment on you in regard to what you're eating. Now in this day and age, it's not just the Christians, not just the Jews that would say, no pork, no bacon, 
Everything's got to be kosher. The new, the new world order with uh, all of the ungodly, they're coming up with their own kosher rules about how much, you know, have you had your kale intake for the week? I mean, have you had your, have you had your um, enough gluten removed from your... Or the moralizers, the vegans, who are just, you know, the bunnies can't be killed. Passing judgment. No one passing judgment. Because Jesus Christ declared all foods clean. All foods are clean. We're about Christ. Remember, I'm according to Christ. When Christ says all foods are clean, and some other Christian comes and says, I don't think you should be eating that because it wouldn't be right, you say, excuse me, Jesus Christ, by whom I live according to everything he's about, I'm looking for what he said. And if he says I get to eat everything, I get to eat everything. If he says, oh, you don't have to eat things you don't like. Okay. I don't like, like vegetables and stuff like that, but I don't have to eat them. But I, I bless those that do. If they want to eat them, God bless them. Leslie is Brussels sprouts. What's going on? Nobody's supposed to eat those. There's a question about whether they're food. But I have to give the same grace I am granted. Let no one pass judgment on you regard to these things. These are people who are restricting your diet and restricting your schedule according to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Now, if you type those three concepts in, festival, new moon, and Sabbath, you're going to have all sorts of Old Testament passages spring up because that is the phrasing speaking of all the Jewish festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. This is not some New Testament-y thing. This is saying all that was in the law with his commandments and ordinances have been set aside. Our life is in Christ. Our life is not in these things. It says, verse 17, these are only a shadow of what is to come. I'm not supposed to let anybody pass judgment on me because of it, because I know what it is. The substance belongs to Christ. Then he says, verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Okay, I'm supposed to, from the beginning of this passage, see to it this doesn't happen. Think this way. Be about Christ, not about tradition. Don't let anybody judge you for being this. This, Remember, every time someone has got church tradition behind them, they are looking down their nose at you. If you're not following the traditions. Because it's a higher spiritual standing. They have crafted for themselves. You have got to be able to understand what kind of things are hitting you when someone is making this judgment and disqualifying you. Let no one disqualify you insisting on self-abasement. What? That can't be right. Because aren't we supposed to be um, humble? Right? What are the things? Let no one disqualify you insisting on self-abasement Worship of angels, it's taking a stand on visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Someone could have a rigorous order of service in Christianity that follows the tradition and is not according to Christ. 
someone could have a very fanciful and exciting, sensual version of Christianity based on your... You know, have you heard the last 40 years? Every Christian group is talking about, you know, worship is really worship. Because it's the worship. Because they like to get into some situation, I don't care what, whether it's our kind of worship or their kind of worship, whatever the case, people are trying to get themselves into some mystic fit where they got, you know, one hand going. I have no problem with your hand going. Raise it. Raise both hands. Lie down on the floor. I don't care. But it's not our religion. It's fine for you to like to not eat certain things, but once you make it part of your religion and start disqualifying others, that's part of the problem. That when they think they're joining the church together in terms of whether you match their tradition, whether you match their excitements, their sensuous mind, not reasonable, where they, where they mortify themselves, self-abasement, as putting yourself down. What could be better than that? How could you not? Because isn't that pride? Are you proud? And you won't abase yourself and worship? On your knees, we're a big kneeling church here. Slap down, we could slap knee rails on the back of each pew. You could just, I always like the fact that I, I like knee rails because usually knee rails have pads on them, which just sort of spoils the self abasement quality. You should have barbed wire, you know. I got really chick, I really got to care that I'm going to pray now. It's going to hurt like the Dickens. But no, a nice, comfortable, lazy boy quality to that. I'm praying now, Jesus, look at me on my knees. Worship of angels, stand on visions. I grew up with a Jesus Christ window in our Baptist church in Annapolis. It was a good shepherd window and it was huge to me as a kid. Jesus wandering across the landscape. Jesus was okay. Sheep were okay. Perspective was okay. But over at the Naval Academy, in the cathedral there, on the campus, there's a window that is the Archangel Michael with the sea behind him. You know, everything's in blue and gold navy colors and boy compared to that Jesus window you want to bow down and worship Michael the archangel it's remarkable it's easy for angels to get that authority we sort of grant them automatic height and belonging to the things of cosmic power and order and we can't even say oh yeah and there's Jesus oh yeah and there's Jesus of course, it's Jesus. Oh, come on in, Jesus. You're fine. Okay, have a seat. People reserving a seat for Jesus. You know, two or more are gathered in my name. I am there with you. Ah, oh, here's a seat for Jesus. You got one for Michael the Archangel. Oh, no, no I'm too I'm scared. We have a higher place for the angelic than we have for Christ. What have we done to him? We haven't done things in accord with him. When we begin to say, my life is supposed to be in accord with Jesus Christ, and I start reading the Gospels, I'm looking for the things that he tells me I am doing that he does not approve of. 
It could be anything from anxiety, do not be anxious for tomorrow, today has enough trouble for itself. Seek God, love your enemies, whatever it is he's telling you to do, you're not doing, better get on it. When you start lifting Christ up, things start to turn out better in your Christian life. We have got Christ holding a creedal position and our excitements, our sensuous minds, are all about the visions and the angels. It says, and not holding fast to the head. It told us that we didn't do things according to Christ. Not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. That's what we want for each other. We want to, Paul's praying it in Ephesians, that Phil read, that we come to a knowledge of Christ in ourselves rather than the Christian version passed through old-style religion that made... Someone was... Okan was, was over the other day. We were talking about a comparative religion book he's reading. And it was talking about how common all the religions were. Well, once you allow Christianity to go through this, yeah, it is. But as Okan pointed out, the gospel is really different. The gospel is really different from all else that is um, out there. And our Christian religion is supposed to be like the gospel. As you received him, so live in him. Everything that we are. Now, obviously you have things like center aisles and pastors and chancels and and pointy windows and and hymn books and things that are just sort of the detritus of tradition. You can accept those things, but you do not live according to them. They are the shadow. They are the unimportant. Christ is the important. If with Christ, verse 20, you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, remember, you were set free from all the elementals were doing. All the elementals were trying to accomplish order the cosmos according to their best lights. And all these religions following it. It says, if you died to them because of Christ, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why does your religion look like everything else? And you can watch it happening now with progressive thought. You can watch the Christians start to adjust their theology to get along with the world because according to the world is actually the guiding design anyway find out the new moralities that you're supposed to follow or do you go back to Christ and learn him but here Paul is talking about worldliness will always view religion as restriction you can't do this If you died to the elemental of the spirits of the universe, one of the key ways you died is being set free from law. Why do you submit to regulations? If you're, if you're not of the world anymore, why is your first answer to a spiritual problem a rule? Someone else came up for you with. Do not handle. Do not taste, 
do not touch. That's almost, almost what you would think Christianity's, what are they called, tagline? Christianity, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Stay away from all this. Those kind of girls. And drugs. Drugs, drink, cards, dancing. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Why would you ever think? We, some of us might feel that this, again, this is destroying your very centerpiece of your religion. If it, what am I going to be religious about if it's not being this kind of religious? Knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing that life in him is far more important than life in the rules. Life in the rules is what the Hindus would do. Life in the rules is what the Muslims do. We're set free from conditions of life that are bothersome in the world. We're set free from evil because we're actually more against evil than these people are. They don't think. That's why they pass judgment. Well, you're not keeping the church calendar. That's right. Because I believe in holiness. And I believe in Jesus Christ. That's why I don't keep the church calendar. You don't believe in visions? No, I don't follow visions. I don't follow things that are led by my sensuality. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things which perish as they are used according to human precepts and doctrines. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Believe me, every argument you've ever been in about a rule that the church should have, about something moral, they look like they're the ones that are for righteousness. They have the appearance of wisdom. The appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion, well, yeah, it is hard, giving that sort of thing up, whatever it is they're going to give up. Yes, that's hard. Rigor of devotion Self-abasement, there's that humility again. And severity to the body, because you know the body is just a sack of sin. You can still read this in famous Christians, and they'll talk about the body being, you know, this thing that used to be eternally mortified. And Jesus Christ said, hold it, I am the fullness of deity bodily. Okay? Jesus Christ was the fullness of all things holy bodily, finite, killable, temptable. He was tempted never man like his way. In a body. That's not a Christian notion. But it sure sounds like sainthood 101. I, I gotta mortify, I gotta be humble, I gotta give stuff up. A lot of stuff, the more stuff I give up, I'm gonna only eat one meal a day and it's gonna be margarine. That's what I'm gonna do. It's going to be very unpleasant. But that's what Jesus would want. No, that's what the elementals would want. I died to the elementals. I lived to Christ. And my Christ is a bodily God who came bodily for a reason. To set us free from the law. To give us substance instead of shadow. Because what does Paul say? This is a verse I grew up loving. Maybe the cigars were a reason. There. 
appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. We are supposed to stop sinning. We're not preaching, you know, freedom in Christ and none of the rules. No, we're talking holiness in Christ because the only way to get to holiness is through none of the rules. Because Jesus Christ sets you free. Jesus Christ changes the way you think. Jesus Christ graces you. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's a wonderful place to end. Because so many times we would like to have the church say, and what we mean by setting your mind on things where Christ is, is this little booklet that will guide you into the views of all souls Christian. This little pattern of life that we have figured out, don't worry, you don't have to do a thing. Just sign here, give regularly, um, make sure that you can answer the right questions at the right time. But it's the environment of Christ I'm thinking of. Where Christ is, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Because I want the kind of life that really is in God and Christ. So that I'm not in the world. And somebody says, well, what is that? It says your life is hid with Christ and God. So should I tell you? Wouldn't that be bad for you if I told you? If I, Because I'm not Christ and I am not the place that you would find those things. You ought to be looking at Christ yourself. Your life is hid with him. It would... We'd lose the seeking and the setting our mind parts from it. We would want the easy way to enlightenment. We'd want the really true church, the really true cool kids on the block who are no longer about rules but are about tidy 15 point list of, of all souls standards of Christ-like thinking. No, you gotta find him, it's your soul. We're gathered together as people who have sought Christ and now we seek each other because hopefully we're growing in grace in such a way that we want to be with each other. Don't ask for too much. I'm happy to tell you all my opinions. But don't try to do the lazy man's way around it. But watch out for religion. That's my advice to you. Have a good Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you very much. For everything you've done for us, we'd ask that we would be faithful to your son in the life that is hid in him. In your son's name we pray. Amen.